What was your faith like before? My faith in my early adult years was non-existent. I really didn't have a relationship with the Lord. I realized that I wasn't in control. I got on my knees and asked God for, for peace and grace and felt this incredible presence. I remember going through that whole process um, where I just had this sense of peace. Good morning. Just a personal note to begin. Over the past few weeks, I've been experiencing some difficulties which have created mobility issues. As a consequence, although I have continued my uh, daily duties in the usual fashion. It seemed unhelpful to preside at public mass, and that's why you haven't seen me. Hopefully I'm on the men, and meanwhile appreciate your patience and your prayers. We're in the fourth week of our current message series, Rebuilt Faith. Over the course of this series, we're looking at rebuilding and strengthening our faith. It all begins with the person of Jesus Christ. Our faith is about having a relationship with him in which we follow him to become more like him. Through the course of this series, we're looking at five steps. That's what we're calling them, five steps we can take to go closer to him. The steps are not boxes we check and then move on. They're lifestyle choices to integrate into the rhythm of our lives. Taken together, they speak to our spiritual health and strength. Each in their own unique way, the steps help us develop a Christ-like character, take one away, and we limit our relationship with Christ and our ability to grow. In fact, we'll never really become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ without each step. Two weeks ago, we looked at the step of serving. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And that's what we want to do too. To become like Jesus, we choose to look for ways to serve in every environment we find ourselves in, adding value to other people's lives, in our home, in our workplace, at school, here in the parish, and out in the community. We become more like Christ by adding value to people's lives. Last week, we looked at a second step, tithing and giving. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Our heart follows our money. We give back to God in response to his incredible generosity in giving us his son. We give back to God in our place of worship, as an act of worship, and in our gifts to the poor. As we move on today, we're confronting one of the biggest misconceptions of our time. I don't think it an overstatement at all to call it one of the biggest misconceptions misconceptions of our time. And like most misconceptions, it has a partial truth to it.
but it's too small, it's too myopic, it misses the whole picture. This view not only stuns people's spiritual growth, but I think has serious and even disastrous consequences for our culture and our community. In some ways, this view is responsible for our fractured and divisive society. To explain further what I'm talking about, we're going to look at one of the most famous passages in the Bible. We're looking at the Ten Commandments as given to us in the book of Exodus. But don't worry, we're not going to go through all ten. Just two this morning. The commandments were given to a people who had been delivered from slavery in Egypt and needed, how to needed to learn how to live responsibly in freedom. For 400 years, the Israelites were slaves. They had no laws because they had no freedom. They only knew to do what they were commanded to do by their taskmasters. After 400 years, God calls Moses to lead the Israelites out of slavery. You probably know the story well. After 10 plagues, the Pharaoh finally relents and sends the Israelites packing. But then he changes his mind and marches his whole army out against them. The Israelites have the Egyptians at their back and the Red Sea in front of them. A possible situation, a hopeless situation for sure, from which God rescues them by parting the sea. They're led out into the desert where God provides for them. He gives them food in the form of manna from heaven. He provides water from rocks. He shows himself to be trustworthy by providing for their needs. After all these experiences, after God has shown his love and concern for them over and over and over again in dramatic and generous fashion, in the context of this relationship that he has fashioned and invested heavenly, heavily in, he gives them the Ten Commandments. The purpose of the commandments was twofold. One was simply practical, to give this new nation directions on how to live and get along with one another. Now that they're free from slavery, they needed ground rules. We take most of the Ten Commandments for granted as obvious or self-evident. Don't kill, don't steal, don't lie. But this was brand new information to the Israelites. They had lived in a brutal culture in which human life was completely disposable. Now, through the commandments, they could learn that human life is something to be valued and respected. Second, the Ten Commandments reflect God's values. Our rules always reflect our values. God gives the command, commandments to the people so that they can see what's important to him. And what's important to him, what's clear from the commandments, is that God values relationships above all else. He values the relationship he has with his people, and he values the relationship they have with one another. This is where Je Judaism was so groundbreaking. In Egyptian and other ancient religions, the pagan gods demanded the sacrifice and worship of their devotees. They did not, however, place any value on a relationship with them, nor did they care how they treated one another. Religion and moral behavior were completely separate in many pagan religions. Judaism and the Ten Commandments, on the other hand, 
Reveal a God who wants a relationship with his people and wants his people to stand in right relationship with each other. We see that from the very first commandment. He says, I, the Lord your God, brought you out of the land of Egypt, that land of slavery. You shall not have other gods besides me. Notice that he uses that pronoun, your. God uses a very personal term to underscore his desire for a relationship. He's not the Lord God. He's the Lord your God. God delivers his command to a people who still know very little about him and his ways. And the command is about building the relationship, trusting him to meet their every need. Every culture of that time worshipped multiple gods in a transactional arrangement in which they offered sacrifice and sought all manner of favor in return. Fair weather, success in battle, healthy crops, a different God for each need. God our Father didn't want the Israelites turning to multiple gods to meet multiple needs. He wanted them to see him as their one and only God, the all-sufficient source of everything they needed because he's the source of all that is good. So, the first three commands are all about building up a relationship with God by building trust and honor and respect in God. The next seven commandments are about building up and safeguarding relationships among the people themselves. Just take a look at the fourth commandment, which sets the tone for the others. Honor your father and mother. Think about that. The command to honor father and mother comes even before the command not to kill. Why? Well, it underscores that healthy relationships begin at home in the family. We learn in the family how to treat other people. By honoring and respecting those who have given us life, we learn to honor and respect life itself. The commandments that follow center on extending that honor to others. And don't miss this. God delivers these commandments not just to individuals, but to the whole nation of Israel. God didn't just save individuals from slavery in Egypt. He saved a people. He saved a people to form a nation. And his plan was that they would be a nation set apart, a nation set apart from the other nations to be a model and guide for the other nations. You know, we're affected by other people's relationship with God, whether we like it or not. And you know what else? Others are impacted by our relationship with God. As I mentioned earlier, herein lies one of the biggest misconceptions of our age, that faith is not held together with others. It's held separately as something completely personal and entirely private. Increasingly, people believe that they can have a connection with God all alone and completely on their own. You hear people say things like, I don't need the church to find God. I don't need the church to talk to God. I don't need the church to be a good person. All of which is true. It's just incomplete. This thinking has its origins historically in the intellectual movement of the 17th and 18th century called the Enlightenment, which among other ideas raised up individual rights above all else. 
Individual rights, of course, do matter, but they're not all that matters. So does a sense of community, and so too does our responsibility to the community we live in. Faith is personal for sure, but it's not private. And while it's important to build our personal faith, our personal faith will never really grow as it could and sh should apart from a community of faith. Just as God saved the whole nation of Israel, Jesus died for a community, a community which is called the church, the new Israel, a new community of people that God has formed as an example, as a witness, as a model for all the nations. So the reflections you'll read this week in Rebuild Faith, and I hope you're reading along with us or you get to start reading along with us. The reflections this week are all about the importance of belonging to a parish community and the benefits that come from a small group. We've already talked enough about small groups this season, but let me make a point to you about the parish. There are many people who say they love the Lord, they love the church, and I'm sure they do, and yet they don't belong to any parish. They drift from place to place, and it's not good. It's not good for their hearts, and it's not good for our community. God's vision for the church is not to be a sacramental filling station or a multiplication of identical franchise where you can check the box and meet your weekly obligation. His vision is to grow a community of believers committed to a specific community, to be a vibrant and visible sign of his love in the world, and precisely the environment in which your personal faith is being built up. If you think about it, the steps of discipleship we're talking about this Lent aren't even possible apart from association in a local parish church. We need to believe and belong to a specific parish and commit to it, here or elsewhere, in person or online. For some of you, that's your next step. So if you've been coming here to our Ridgely Road campus or you've been joining us weekly online and you find yourself interested, engaged, growing, we invite you to commit and connect to Nativity. And we'll have more to say about that and an opportunity to do so later at Mass. And for those of you who have joined a small group this Lent, I want to congratulate you on taking that step. May I encourage you to stick with it through our Easter series. That will be a great next step for you. And your group leader will have more to say about that in the coming week. Bottom line. Building or rebuilding your faith is always all about Jesus, and Jesus is always all about relationships. For those that know me know I'm, I'm pretty private about my faith, and I keep a lot of things to myself. Um, talking about it is not something I'm normally doing. So I got into a small group because my wife volunteered me. I was a little uneasy about it. It's definitely something not in my comfort zone. After some conversations, I decided to do it and, and challenge myself and try to do a new experience. So I wound up uh, attending the first small group. Uh, it was 
better than I expected. I enjoyed myself, it was good company, um, and it was a good group of men. We have a lot of common ground amongst us, and it was a good environment for us to learn together and grow together. In September, um, our house was struck by lightning in a storm, uh, and unfortunately it caught fire and, and suffered substantial damage. Our house was beautiful. We made it, everything was like the way we, we, we bought it. We, my wife and I gutted it, and we, we, we did everything to it. And it got to a point where, you know, we really had it the way we wanted. And to lose that and all your hard work just to be gone in an instant, it was definitely, uh, something you had to process and something you had to come to terms with. Immediately after the fire, the entire small group reached out, offering support to lend a hand, to offer anything they could do. Um, I was overwhelmed. The amount of support I received from friends, family, and neighbors, and members of the small group was just absolutely overwhelming. Shortly thereafter, I had bilateral foot surgery, um, and I was in a wheelchair for about three weeks. And, and the guys from small group reached out one of them picked me up and brought me up and took me for a meal. And I can't tell you how big that was in the time because one, it takes a lot to get me into a car and I needed two or three guys to get me into the car. And two, just to get out and socialize and see people and, and, and interact was huge. I think it's good for the mind. Being able to lean in and, and, and getting that kind of support was, was instrumental in my recovery. Thanks for watching. Hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single video. You can be part of our mission to love God, love others, and make disciples simply by sharing this video. We're grateful you're part of this community.